from the, the Advent one and just go to that. That's, yeah, here we go, perfect. Good morning. <laughs> um, gosh, it seemed like it was so long ago now, but I guess it's only five weeks. <laughs> um, anyway, so we left. It's about a day ride down there, about eight hours. Pretty easy uh, drive, but in October we got into Utah and on a pass or something and ran into some snow, but it was all good. We Everybody made there safely. We had a VRBO in Pine Top, which is about 40 minutes from the res. And it was a large VRBO. There were 17 of us that stayed in there, but they said they could hold 30, but there weren't enough bathrooms, trust me. However, we had a wonderful kitchen. You saw some pictures. It had a, a full-size commercial 
a stove, which was wonderful, and two dishwashers, although we still washed a lot. Because <laughs> um, we prepare, we bring all the food down, everything that we serve on the res, as well as what we have at the VRBO. So we had a whole hall just full of stuff. Um, we have to, um, we have these big roasters that we would fill with food. So we had enough to probably feed 100, something like that. We just didn't know with COVID. Uh, we were limited in the American Legion. Um, for the women's, first we had the men's conference, and Richard will speak to that, and then the women's conference for two days. And we had um, oh, a ton of speakers. Um, our theme for the women's conference was Jesus the Waymaker from John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We had speakers. We had Dr. Julie Mixter, um, who was a retired uh, physician from Delta, and she spoke on a health, living a healthier life. Um, there is a lot of poverty on the res, and, um, and they don't know how to eat properly, a lot of diabetes, and of course there's a lot of um, alcoholism and that type of thing. Um, it's pretty uncommon to see a woman, a lot of them like over 40, you know, really have some health issues. Um, Bonita, who took over this legacy from her son, uh, Paris Wallace, Pastor Paris Wallace, that started the ministry. Um, she spoke on putting the full armor of God on to be overcomers. Um, her daughter, Lori Wagner, who also lives in Phoenix, and she runs the food bank that they do at one of the churches up there, Fire on the Mountain, um, she covered the names of God. And um, Sarah Rapp, who is from Delta, she's done a prison ministry now for 18 years. Um, she spoke on prayer, and then I went and spoke um, on um, the introduction to mental health. Um, my volunteer work is with National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, some of you know our son lives with a mental illness, bipolar type 1. Um, and so there is, um, even the one pastor and their kid, similar to our son, it was uh, it was uh, pretty tough, but I... Uh, we, the speakers were amazing, um, everyone was. Every woman that wanted or needed a sewing machine got one. So that was just uh, a really wonderful. We had tons of sewing material and um, um, women got plenty. And then the books that we had there and tapes. And I just wanna thank you all for your part. You know, it's, it's so comforting to feel the prayers um, that you pray for us as, you know, to lead the way and to soften hearts and to even work on our hearts because there were definite spiritual battles. <laughs> I didn't even talk to him all the way down there. It was a long ride. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> you know, we realized that it was spiritual battles. Yeah, he said a good ride. <laughs> But, um, and for the, the uh, financial support that you gave, um, the Apache know without a doubt that there are many men and women in Colorado that love them very much. Well, my turn. Um, to me, Apache manifest what the body of Christ is all about. We all have different gifts. We all have different.
certain time, so you shouldn't speak loudly enough. Um, so this was, a, a, to me, a manifestation of the gift of God. We were able to go down there with our gifts. You supported us with prayer. You supported us financially. It all comes together for a successful short-term mission. Um, my part of the conference, I led the men's conference, um, kind of organized it. I, sp I spoke on um, the simplicity of the gospel and the Apache's role in the Great Commission when we leave. Because we go down there to build up the body best we can with what we bring down there. And then we leave, and it's up for the, for the Apache men to minister also in that in, when we're gone. Um, apparently where the American Legion post is is a bad part of, a bad part of town. I mean, if you look at the reservation, you drive in, you kind of got the hospital in that area, and that's very nice. And then where we, where we were at, apparently it was a little bit rough. I wasn't aware of that. I'm wandering around, and we're talking to men throughout the neighborhood. The people had a say, well, this isn't a good part of town. I go, well, my 36 years of law enforcement kind of made me real comfortable, real comfortable down in that environment, <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it. Um, and, and it was good. We actually got a lot of men. Um, COVID did have an impact. They had less than half the number of women than they had two years ago, but we doubled the number of men that we had two years ago. So it, it actually worked out all right. Um, a lot of the men came in uh, and stayed. They registered, so we know how to get a hold of them. We know how to advertise better and stuff next time. Some of the men came in. They were in pretty rough shape, but we came, they came in. We fed them, and we made sure they had food and for their buddies. So we did do a lot of feeding for people yeah. that were in no shape to attend um, the conference. Alcoholism in the older people is very common, mostly men. Methamphetamine use on the, uh, on the reservation is still pretty hard, pretty harsh. The, for the younger generation. Um, that said, when the men's conference was over, the men then served all the women. We did the cooking. We did we did cleaned all the pots and pans. We did all the carrying. So it was kind of when we were running our conference, the women supported us, and then we reversed. And that's very much atypical for an Apache culture for the men to do things like that in the kitchen and stuff like that. I didn't care. Yeah, it was the fine. The women were super excited when yeah. the guys served us. They were like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, you do what you need to do. I carried a ton of sewing machines to cars. You know, we, we gave away just tons of books. All the fishing poles, we, we had little tickets when they registered. We gave them little tickets and we had drawings for all the fishing poles. Uh, somebody donated like um, like a handful of $25 gift cards for the Walmart and Pine Top. Very well received. Little things like that, that, that kind of lure them into the conference. But the men, they heard the gospel preached. Uh, God's word will not return void. So in that regard, we know the mission was uh, a big success. Uh, we prayed with a lot of men. Uh, a lot of men shared a lot with everybody. We serve a big God. While he worked with the men throughout, he really did a work on us, too. It's amazing. It's like, I don't think I fully processed where the Lord brought me while we were down there. And I've been down there, this may be my half a dozen times now. Um, but, but it was really unique for me in this situation. So that was really good. Remember, we started this men's conference because me, five, six years ago, you know, there was a vacation Bible school and there was a rodeo Bible camp and there was a women's conference. And I'm going, hey, where's the men's conference? Well, don't say that stuff. Anyways, <laughs> so you figure it out. And, and then a couple years ago, 
came up. Where's the pastors' conference? The pastors on the reservation had to be trained. They have to be trained. We had a luncheon for pastors. Three showed up. I mean, you know, we were. I, I was pleased. It's a start for a pastors' conference because what you saw there, you saw the like the little office and some painting. You could see the buildings. Some of the men went down and they're not comfortable speaking. They're not comfortable getting in front of people, but they're real comfortable. You know, the, the Fire on the Mountain Church, that's the inviting church for us to go to the reservation. Um, we finished out Pastor Cosse's, Edmund Cosse's office, and we painted part of his church building while a group of men was doing that. Another group of men, we were preparing meals for the women, and so it all worked together. The unity of, of the team that went down there was impressive. I mean, there were no issues. There was a lot of, I mean, Bonita Wallace, the, the, the lead of the conference, the day of the men's conference, she was taken out on a stretcher by paramedics to the, to the hospital. We're like, yeah. oh, this is a great start to the conference, <laughs> you know, but, but she's fine. She just had some, you know, some inner ear issues and some vertigo issues and whatnot. So she got back to us after a couple of days. So that was fine. Um, well, the doctor told her she needed to go home. Yeah. But she's yeah, not she didn't go home. She didn't go, I mean, so, so, but the unity on all of us with the cooking and the cleaning and everything that took place and, and ministering to the Apache, um, well worth it. Um, asked if I would lead the men's conference next year, so we're already tentatively planning November of 2022. Uh, the American Legion Post worked out actually very well, rough part of town, but it worked out very well. Um, so we'll use that again. Uh, what else we going? Um, yeah, and at the end, if and just for a word of warning, if the if the Lord puts a bug in your ear to go down there, it's a good thing. If the Lord tells you, go do it. That simple. But if you really like sleep, yeah, not so much. You're not really going to be sleeping much over these next few days if you go down there with us at all. If you're like a germaphobe or a neat freak, if you go to the reservation, well, that's going to really take you out of your comfort zone. So just get used to that kind of stuff. It, it is a different culture. But it was well worth it. And again, thanks. You guys were great with us. And um, we look forward to the next year and what the Lord will do with Apache. Oh, any questions? I will I will take any questions. If oh, you, you can get a hold of Apache. Or talk to us afterwards and stuff like that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Then. All right. That's the good stuff right there. Mission work is so amazing. And uh, so our, our next uh, mission's focus is actually going to be for, for KJOL, for our local Christian radio. And John is lining up for us to have a, a speaker on that in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure how um, that's going to, going to play out, but that's our, our next focus for that. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray real quick like before we dive into the Word. Father, thank you. Thank you that the people have boldness, that people are willing to go to everywhere. They're willing to go to any place to proclaim you. Father, we are seeking that spirit. We are seeking the spirit of missions that we would leave no stone unturned, that we would be well prepared 
that we would be good heralds for you. And to that end, we have your word open in front of us, and we just ask that you bless this time that we have together. Thank you for Richard and Kathleen. Thank you for their willingness to go out and to come back and to tell us about it. Thank you. Father, we just lift up this time that we have together to you and just ask that you be with us. Amen. So we are continuing. We're starting into John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Uh, so we're, we're going to jump into this. I will warn you that the, the middle section of this message is, um, is a little bit uncomfortable. So that's your, that's your trigger warning if you want to, you know, get up and leave in the middle of it or if you want to stomp out and disgust at any point, I, you know, fully understand. Uh, but because what we're going to do, this message is a, it's a hard message. And it's a message because it is about pastors. It is literally about pastors and it is about being sheep. It is, what does it mean to be in God's flock? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And what does it mean to be a pastor? Literally, that word means shepherd. And Jesus is going to say boldly in our, at the very first line of our message today, he says, I am the good shepherd. So that's our focus for today. But it gets a little uncomfortable because it's directly about us. There's a lot of times we can, you know, most of us were not born blind. Most of us were not cured by Jesus. Most of us didn't have the mud mixed and put on our eyes. At least anyone, anyone in here? I, I certainly didn't. So it's a little bit easier for us to be detached. This message is very personal. It's a very personal for each and every one of us. So we are in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and he sheep, his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. And can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, there's two things that we're going to look at 
We're going to attack it this verse two ways. The first one is this is a job posting. We're going to look at what it means to be a pastor and the traits of false teachers and false pastors. Then we're going to look at being a Christian, being part of the flock, what it means to be a Christian and how to be a Christian. For reference, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Ezekiel chapter 34. That actually really expounds on this verse greatly, and we're going to jump in there quite a bit. So in comparison, I want you to notice how this one starts, because it says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, that those are the very first line. This is a big contrast, because the chapter break doesn't do us any favors here. The translators, you know, they need to break these up into, into readable passages, but they didn't do us a favor where, the way, where they put this one at. If you go back, go back to chapter 2, verse 1, it says what? On the third day, a wedding place. There was a natural break in the story. 3-1, now there was a Pharisee. There was a natural break in the story, a change in timeline. 4-1, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 5-1, sometime later, there was a natural break in the story. 6-1, sometime after this. 7-1, after this. 8-12, when he spoke to the people. 9-1, as he went along. All of those were natural breaks in the story. This is a continuation directly of what happened in chapter 9. It starts right off with the very truly I tell you, Pharisees. It's the very, so if we go back to 9, 39 through 41, this is the same setting, same people, same crowd. We haven't had a, a change in time. We haven't had a change in place. This is a continuation of the previous conversation. So remember, Jesus, you know, the guy that was blind, he was put on trial. He leaves the temple. Jesus finds him, and there's some of the Pharisees there, and they have this conversation. They have this exchange. So if we start in 39, it says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. We go right into the next verse. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Jesus is using an allegory to make a point. His allegory has multiple layers because it's Jesus. He's really good at this. He doesn't do poor analogies like I do. Weird. But this allegory is an indictment against the Pharisees. Jesus is standing in Jerusalem, and he is going to call the Pharisees thieves, robbers, false shepherds who are blind to the truth. So we're not going to go there right now. Instead, we're going to look at what it means to be a shepherd, because that's a little bit more comfortable. Because here are the realities of being a shepherd. Most people at this time knew what it was to be a shepherd. We are very comfortable. We're very insulated from this lifestyle. Most of us do not know what it means to have to go out and work. Otherwise, our families will starve. It's a very different life. I was talking with John about this, the farming and the ranching life. It's a very different life than what most of us lead. Most of us, the chickens aren't going to die if we don't get up and go out and feed them. The cows aren't going to die or, or something like that isn't going to happen to us if we don't get up and go out. 
right? We have a, we have a clock, an alarm clock that gets us up, and we go off and, and do our job. But we're not planning months down the road that if I don't go out and plant today, if I don't go out and sow today, if I don't go out and plow today, I don't eat in six months. Most of us don't live like that. This agrarian lifestyle has mostly gone away on our world. The world really has radically changed in the last 400 years. I've got a couple of pictures to put up here. The first one is of the, the Wright Flyer. On December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers flew the first airplane at Kitty Hawk, South Carolina. The next one is from July 20, 1969, the landing on the moon. Those pictures are only 66 years apart. Isn't that crazy? One of the Wright brothers, Orville, was still alive when we dropped the atomic bomb. That's an amazing rate of progress. Our world has changed radically in the last 400 years. Orville died in 1948. Electricity, indoor plumbing, and heating, they have been required, not a luxury, required in American homes for 70 years. That's incredible. Humans have not lived like this ever. If you go back through human history, and I don't care how long you say it is, our world has changed radically, and it has changed radically rapidly. And the point of that is, so for this morning, we have to step out of how we live. We have to step into how these guys lived, how first century Jews lived, because this parable, this um, uh, allegory that, that Jesus gives is steeped in this imagery. We have to be able to step into these shoes. So I've got another slideshow that I'm going to put up here. And this is just of the, the Judean countryside. This is just some pictures from Israel. So it's just going to play in a loop just to give us a setting, to give us a feeling of what they were talking about. Because you've got to pretend we're going to be first century shepherds. We all have taken up a new gig and we want to be shepherds. So understand this is a year-round full-time job. Even on Sabbath days, the sheep have to be cared for. Now, we don't know. We don't know exactly how the, the first century shepherds handled this. But somebody had to be there. Somebody had to let the sheep out, and somebody had to take care of them, and somebody had to let them back in. So when Jesus says that he works on the Sabbath, and then he calls himself the good shepherd, this is part of the imagery that he's taking. He's like, hey, you guys are putting all these rules on all these people, but right outside your city gates, there's somebody working every single Sabbath to make sure that you are not only fed, but they provide the lambs that are sacrificed at Passover every year. Those people are the people that are taking care of those lambs that are brought in for sacrifice every single year. So we can only speculate, but we know that the sheep would have needed care and feeding even on Sabbath days. So in the morning... You have to be up early and dressed for the weather. You won't be coming home until sundown. You got to pack a lunch. You will need a rod. It's used to rescue, to guide, and to inspect the sheep. So you go to the sheepfold, and there's a couple of pictures. They've got this, these big rock circles. Uh, and the, each community would have one fold. They would have one place where all of the, the shepherds would bring all of their sheep together, and that's important. So you see it's a big circle and there's one point of entry into that sheepfold. So you go to the sheepfold, every community has one, and there there's a night watchman. He's usually a junior 
shepherd, somebody who's younger. He's the low man on the totem pole. But he literally sits at the gate of that sheepfold, that little opening in those rocks. That is his place. He does not move from that spot. He is the door to the sheepfold. So when Jesus says, I am the door, that's what he's talking about. I am the guy that sits there at night in the doorway and makes sure that nothing bad happens to the sheep. That's what he says. He says, I am the door. And literally, there would be a guy, just like that guy, sitting right there that would be sitting in that doorway. So imagine, though, you have all these sheep that are in there. Each one of them has some, some different problems, right? Maybe one got a rock stuck, or maybe one's sick, or maybe one ate the wrong thing, or had a mat tangle, or whatever. So there'd be shepherds that were coming in the night to check on their sheep. So that guy who was the door, he would only let in the shepherds that he knew. He's only going to let the guys in that he knows to go check on the sheep at night. He is the door. And Jesus says, anybody else who comes in is a thief or a robber. They have to climb the wall to get in. Okay? So everyone uses the same fold. So you have to know your sheep, and you have to know them on sight. I can't tell those guys apart. But the shepherd does. They're professionals. The shepherd knows their sheep on sight. Amazing thing about sheep, they're auditory. They quickly learn to follow your voice. Your voice is like a fingerprint. Tone, cadence, phrases, unique to you. Your sheep quickly know you and will only follow you. The watchman who stands at the door of the fold lets you in. You gather your sheep and lead them out of the fold. You walk ahead of your flock, scouting out the area for danger, for good food, and for water. And once you find a good spot, you stand watch over the sheep. Now, sheep find trouble. It's like their job. Every hole, every patch of mud, every snake, every thistle, they will find their way into. Entangled, followed, fallen, refusing to eat, refusing to drink, eating the wrong things, making themselves sick. Ticks, fleas, flies, mosquitoes. At the end of the day, you lead the flock back to the fold. You stand at the door, right, because you're ahead of them. So you walk to the fold with your sheep behind you, and then each sheep gets inspected each night. So you have your rod, you lift them up, you check everything, and then into the fold they go. Every single one, hand inspected by you every single night. So then the guy who's the night watchman takes over. So when we get to the Christmas story here in a couple of of weeks, understand that these were the lowest of the low shepherds who were at night watching over the flock. This is what they were doing. They were standing in a fold watching over these sheep. They were the young guys. They weren't the senior guys. They weren't the... And shepherds on a whole are the lower level anyway. And so those were the guys that God said, no, these guys get to hear about the Messiah first. These are the guys that a host of angels is going to stand over and proclaim the birth of the Lord to. Isn't that incredible? But that's what it was like because as the sun comes up, it's time to get back to work. You got to grab some breakfast, pack your lunch, grab your rod, and head back to the fold. It's dirty, smelly work. There are no days off, and it is sun up to sundown in every kind of weather. That is the setting. 
Shepherd, sheep, sheepfold, watchman. Jesus says to the Pharisees something true. The night watchman is standing at the door to the fold. He is only going to let shepherds into the fold. Anyone who is not a shepherd can only get in by climbing over the walls of the fold. And that person is a thief and a robber. And he's talking about false teachers, false pastors, people who claim to be from God, people who claim to be righteous leaders, but who in fact are out to steal and kill, to fatten and enrich themselves off of the flock. Isaiah 56 verses 10 through 11 say, Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 10 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountain and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. I'll tell you that right there is a scathing indictment, isn't it, of the modern church? The sheep are scattered. They're scattered all over the mountains and on every hill. And no one searched or looked for them. May that never be the case. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. Jesus gives a similar warning in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. 2 Peter 2 verses 1 through 10 say, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, brought, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. We've seen that. We've seen that with churches. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories, 
Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they, they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, didn't know Noah preached until I read that, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. 1 John 4 verses 1 through 6. This is instructions for you guys. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's dual responsibility. You're responsible for who you follow. No one makes you, co- makes you come here. You vote with your attendance and with your giving if you believe that we are a church that is genuinely serving Christ. And John says, test, test the spirits. Do they acknowledge Christ as Lord and Savior? And there are churches and denominations who diminish or who deny Jesus or deny the Bible. Peter says to watch out for secret heresies. This is the temptation of the devil. The first thing that he does is he denies God's word. He says, yea, hath God said? And then there's a distortion of the scripture. He says, surely you won't die, but will become like God. So I will tell you that there is a reason why I read a lot of scripture, why I read it wholly and in context. I read those verses because I am afraid of taking things out of context, of abusing the scripture, of twisting or distorting God's word to fit my purposes. I'm afraid of that. I don't want to do that. So I use the best system that I can come up with to safeguard the word. There's a reason why I repeatedly read from Romans 1, Galatians 5, Ephesians 5. If you haven't, you can go and read them on your own. But they're very clear about how we should live and what we should and should not do. I'm not going to go there right now. I listed them all out. Because this is the thing. Was we must be loving to others. That's must. That's not optional. We must care for others. Must. That's not optional. That means we pray, we feed, we clothe. No one leaves here hungry. We take care of widows and orphans. We visit those in prison. Those are commands that we have been given as people of God. We must proclaim the love of Christ. We must proclaim the grace 
of God. We must proclaim the forgiveness and redemption that were purchased with blood on the cross. However, we must also declare the righteousness, the holiness of God, and the deadliness of sin. Anything less, Peter says right here, is heresy. It's apostasy. And the worst thing about this passage is that he's talking to the Pharisees. These are educated men. It would be a lot easier if Jesus would say, well, you need to have at least a 3.2 high school GPA, um, a bachelor's degree in theology, and an MDiv um, before you can preach. I wish that were the case. I wish if he would just set out some clear steps. Instead, he sets a very high bar. The pastor must be called and must be commissioned by God. Anyone else climbed the wall and is a thief or a robber. 1 Timothy 3 is a bit more practical. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert where he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Titus 1 verses 5 through 9 says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not an overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Jesus gets even more harsh. Right? That wasn't enough. He says, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. So he has the scathing indictment for the Pharisees. He sets a high bar for anyone who would take the pulpit. Anyone who would stand here must be commissioned and called. Anyone else is a thief and a robber. He calls us hired hands. And he says, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. So the conclusion of that is, 
that you have to be careful who you follow, careful who you listen to. Be wary. Test everything. There are false teachers, people who take the pulpit for themselves, for their own selfish reasons. Pray and read your Bible. So the last section is for all of us as Christians. It's about being a Christian, being a follower of Christ. You can go back, like I said, if we want to, and go through the Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5 and Romans 1 if we want to talk about Christian living, how Christians behave. But Jesus continues his allegory. He applies it to false shepherds, the Pharisees in this case, but it can be applied to all false shepherds. But he also talks about his sheep, his flock. How do we become part of the flock? How do we receive, what do we receive as part of the flock? These are terms God uses for his people. These are absolutely beautiful. Go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. It says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. Then those who feared the Lord, this is Malachi 3, verses 16 through 18, it says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. The God of the universe sees his church as a shining jewel, as a treasured possession, as his precious bride. The man who created the universe looked down, looked out for all of it, and he said this is beautiful. This I treasure. Looked at all the lakes, all the trees, everything, everything that's precious, the gold. And he said, no, that's not my treasure. This is my treasure. First Peter 2 verses 4 through 10 say, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. That's Jesus. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. He'll never be put to shame trusting in Jesus. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. That's us. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I want to be, just make a quick note. Jesus is very clear and very specific in this allegory. 
He talks about one fold and two flocks. The fold is Jerusalem. One of the flocks are Jews. The other, flocks are the, the other flock is the Gentiles. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We could probably do a whole message on the prophecy that's in here. Two flocks become one flock and they have one shepherd and one fold. Jesus says this about his sheep. They know him. They know his voice. They follow him. But then he says something else. He says, he knows them. He leads them. He leads them to green pastures. He cares for them. He lays down his life for them, only to pick it up again. So a couple weeks ago, I talked about the Trinity. I talked about where we got Trinity doctrine from. In the 80s, a lot of things changed in in church. One of the things that, that became really popular was talking about our relationship with God as a relationship. That terminology was fairly new. I guess it's not new now. I guess it's 40 years old. <clears throat> but that was new terminology. Was, it was, that was new stuff. That was, oh my gosh, these new age churches, they're going off the, the handle. So where do we get this idea of building relationship with God? It's right here. This is relationship. It's a way to describe what we see in the Bible. They know him. They know his voice. They follow him. He knows them. He leads them. He cares for them. He lays his life down for them. Those are quotes right here. So when someone says, man, why do you believe that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Why do you believe you have a personal relationship with God? Grab John chapter 10. It's right there. Next thing about that is to think about how radically that changed the church. If we were to go back to the Samaritan woman at the well, what does Jesus say? He says, you will no longer worship at the temple. You will worship where? In spirit and in truth. That's what we do. And then he says right here, he says, I am the door. Pharisees aren't the door. The temple isn't the door. None of that's the door. I am the door. And I'm everywhere. Come to me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, come to me. Come to the door. Join my fold. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. See, Jesus can walk in among the flocks and pick out his sheep. He leads them out to pasture. And when they return in the evening, he carefully inspects each one at the gate. He knows every blemish, every sickness, every injury. He knows when you water. He knows when you feed. He knows when you lie down. He knows when you get up. Jesus does not take sheep that are not his. On our side, we must know him, know his voice, and follow him. One of the hallmarks of our membership in the flock is that we follow the shepherd. If someone claims to be a Christian but doesn't follow Christ, are they part of the flock? And here's the thing is that it's not because you grew up in church or because your parents were Christians or maybe your parents were Jewish. The answer to the question is, do you know Jesus and does Jesus know you? I got this quote from Spurgeon. It says, even people who have been baptized or who have made confessions of faith, it says, let it be understood then once and for all 
that we cannot get into the church of Christ through baptism. There are tens of thousands, either been millions who have been baptized after a fashion. That is to say, they have been sprinkled and thousands have been immersed who never were admitted into the church of Christ. In consideration of the ordinance as it was administered to them, with or more commonly without their consent, he's talking about childhood baptism right there, they were recognized by some persons as being Christians. But let me tell you that unless they came to Christ by true faith, they are nothing better than baptized pagans. They are sprinkled heathens still. Why, you might hold a man in an everlasting shower, but you could not make him a member of Christ thereby. Or you might drag him through the Atlantic Ocean, and if he survived the immersion, yet still he would not be one the jot the better. The door is not baptism, but Christ. If thou believest in Christ, thou art a member of his church. If thy trust is stayed upon Christ, who is God's great way of salvation, thou hast evidence that thou wast chosen of him from before the foundation of the world. And that faith of thine entitles thee to all the privileges which Christ has promised in his word to believers. The test is simple, and it's a test of the heart that only you know the answer to. Do you know Christ, and does he know you? So what does he promise? What does he promise to his flock? He says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. Every day, Jesus goes out ahead of you. Isn't that incredible? Looking out for you. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. He's not ever going to lose you. You're not ever going to go astray following Christ. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out. In your daily comings and goings, and go in and out of the fold, there you will find pasture. Then he talks about God's intentions. There's a lot of times where atheists will accuse God, say that he's evil. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But why did Jesus come? He says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. This is one of the promises of being a Christian right here is that you may have life and have it to the full. We talked about it last week that Jesus doesn't expect you to walk around with a giant burden on your back. He doesn't expect you to walk around being beat up or in constant streams of guilt. He wants you to have life. He wants you to have life to the full. It shouldn't be some heavy weight that you are carrying around. And he talks about how much he cares about his sheep. I've got Matthew 18 here. It says, What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That's God's heart for you. John 6, 35 through 40 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Listen to this. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. God isn't out there looking to, to play interstellar game of whack-a-mole. He says, come to me, I will never drive you away. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him at the last day. I'm going to finish with Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements of the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. This is your personal relationship. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So, do you want life? You want life to the full? And you come to the door, you come to Christ. Do you feel lost or harassed or at the end of your rope? Come to the door, come to Christ. Is sin chasing you? Is it a a ravenous wolf chasing you? Is it crouching at your door? Is it nipping at your heels, waiting for you to stumble? Come to the door. Come to Christ. Do you long for peace and rest? Do you long for the green pastures and sweet waters of eternity in heaven? So then come to the door. Come to Christ. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have together. Father, we are seeking that you be glorified, that as we go out into this week, that your name would ring out in our lives, in our work, in our schools, in every place that we go. We see so many people that need to turn to you, so many people that are lost and harassed and We'd just like for them to find peace and rest, Father. We would like for justice to sing out all over the world. So, Father, this week, help us to take at least one step on the narrow path, please. We lift up our children to you, that you would guard their steps, that you would guard their hearts, that you would guard their eyes and ears, that every voice, every every tongue, every ear would hear you before speaking of them. We would, we lift up Rick to you. We are very thankful for doctors. We're thankful for hospitals, but we can get him home. That would be great. Just heal him up. We're thankful that Miss Barb is out of the hospital. We're thankful that they're on the mend. Thank you for that. Please be with our friends and family who are traveling people on the road and just please keep them safe and let them have wonderful time as they they travel and visit family please uh, keep us on your path let's be about your business let us be good heralds for you the king amen let's let's go fellowship